How's it going, folks? This is Christian with Liberty After Dark, bringing you part two of the Young Bucks episode with Derek and Brian. Uh, we go over a lot of fantastic topics in this conversation. I won't spoil all of them, but we talk a lot about foreign policy and its relation to our domestic politics that we have going on right now. And uh, we talk a lot about culture, some history, lots of good tangential conversation going on. This is the longest part of the three of them, uh, but I think there were lots of great things said here. So I hope you guys enjoy. I won't keep you around any longer. Please enjoy the show. So, yeah, Madison's resignation letter. Basically, I don't know. Trump wasn't happy with it. Have you? Did you ever hear about this? I honestly, Trump is, uh, his opinion is like the least of my concern most days. So True. Well, I was just wondering what the what the words were. I'm talking about Mattis' resignation letter right now, Derek. Oh, and, yeah. And like how Trump is upset about it. And I read it and there wasn't even like attacks on Trump. He basically, he basically was like, you deserve to have a sec def that is aligned with your opinions and your views on the world, and that's why I'm resigning. Policy disagreement, mostly, I think. Mm-hmm. Well, it was mostly over Syria, right? Yeah. He resigned. I, I think I think you're fucking that, high if you didn't see that one coming. Yeah. Mad Dog Mattis. I mean, he's not exactly like the biggest proponent of you know pulling the military out of conflicts. Just yeah. throw that out there, you know. Well, he did say in the resignation letter that. He wanted didn't want the U.S. to be the world police anymore, and yeah, let's not pull out of Syria. Let's see how fast we become stop being the world police at that point. No, no, I know. You think Afghanistan was part of that too? I mean, we're like, oh, pulling out of Afghanistan? Yeah, to leave. Uh, probably. Yeah, I mean, I know the whole Eastern theater. Besides us, pretty much. I mean, even us to an extent, but the whole Eastern theater is like kind of all pissed off right now in the military because they're like, oh man, we had all these like big bombs and everything ready to go. And now we can't drop them on the brown people. Dang it. I, I have a really unpopular opinion with most people that like, I don't think this base should exist if I'm going to be completely honest with you. And this is probably one of the most justifiable ones. Uh, If we were going to keep any of them, I'd say probably this base and maybe a couple others dotted around, but like, I mean, we have like what 330 bases internationally that we uh, we own like 180 of them or something like that. And like, yeah. excuse me, really, <laughs> really, <laughs> like, we're the biggest empire the world's ever known. Yeah, I always bring up the whole like, imagine if uh, like Russia opened up a base tomorrow outside of your hometown. How 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 do you think the people there would feel? Okay. Yeah. If we had nukes in Turkey pointed at them in the Cold War and they tried to, you know, match that by getting them on Cuba and we almost bombed them in retaliation. So, like, it's it's never an easy question of figuring out international relations, but I don't know. We, I think we do kind of assume we have the moral high ground by default, which in my mind makes you way more prone to, like, making very grievous mistakes which i think we've probably done the last couple decades but yeah i don't know then after like uh the berlin wall fell how we had the agreement with russia that like there wouldn't be any uh on a western aggression towards their border and then we formed nato and then that's basically just the same fucking thing yeah (laughs) which like i'm not i'm not justifying their actions in ukraine but i understand it from a military like 
yeah. defensive position. Well, play devil's or... advocate. Most of those people, most of those countries did not consent to having the Iron Curtain wrought over them after World War Two. True, and true. Oh, yeah. Their choice for NATO. They wanted that protection. And I think NATO was deformed as a defensive alliance in the case of them expanding west through to the Atlantic, which was a real possibility in 1945, but not so much anymore. Yeah, it's... Yeah. Which, um, which, that was another thing in his re- resignation letter. He said something to the effect of uh, China and Russia and their authoritarian governments trying to spread influence, basically, and how, obviously, Trump's a lot more buddy-buddy with Russia than we've been yeah. in a long, long time. And, and we still can't strike any deals with them. So, I mean, what's what's it for? But No, sorry, I'll let you keep going, you know? No, yeah, oh, no, no. you didn't. Yeah, no, you're good. I was I was just gonna say like it's fine to cooperate cooperate with like Russia and China on international agreements, but I feel like what Trump's doing is just sucking up to them. Hmm. Like you don't need to praise the style of an authoritarian to like get things done with them. Which to some extent I've been kind of uh, upset with the way he's handled that with Kim Jong Un, which. Maybe that's the only way you can get him to listen to you is by flattering him, but appeal to his authority complex. Uh, yeah, like that's just maybe not the best way to do it. It's not a good precedent to set as a leader of the free world. Like, why go down that route? Yeah, especially when both of them. Well, obviously they're they're a little different, but obviously Putin clearly rigs elections and kills politicians who get in his way, and then Kim Jong Un obviously fucking enslaves people. And kills his own people. Russia's like a walking humanitarian crisis. Pretty much all three of them are, honestly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's rough. North Korea, Russia, China, I think are three of some of the largest. I mean, obviously, we can throw in the Middle East and put like half of that in there, too, for human rights violators. But, you know, the, as far as like superpowers are concerned, uh, you know, I don't know if you can. I wouldn't consider North Korea a superpower, but they got nukes. Mm-hmm. So. Well, they're nuclear power, so yeah. they have to be talked about. Exactly. Fortunately. If they didn't have nukes, none of this would be a fucking problem. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, the amount of artillery pieces they have pointed at Saul, that makes them worth talking about. But nonetheless, like, the war would be over in, like, a week from a military standpoint. Yeah. If that. But, yeah. You, had, you throw a nuke into the mix, and it's just a whole bunch of unanswerable questions yeah we always joke thad has like a 33 percent success rate here the anti-missile defense system the so we always joke like no one knows how many nukes north korea has and everything or how many they have like ready to go we we suspect they have a couple short range that are just ready to go but uh, small payloads and we always joke like however many land and go off you just add a third and that's how many they had so <laughs> Subtract so a third, you mean? No, you know, add a, so if like four land, you add a third, so you had six. Uh, or well, you know, you, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's yeah. the two thirds of the equation. So. Yeah, yeah. It's and just, then he got through. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, you know, um, you were talking about uh, new subjects to bring up. Actually, this one's pretty fresh. I don't know if you heard about um, India and Pakistan. Oh, yeah. I've been yeah. To, I've been trying to talk to people about that, and they're like, oh, that's cool. I'm like, oh, you know, just like two nuclear powers yeah. on the brink of it war. It could be the most consequential issue, like, if things get worse. 
I guess it's barely making a blip on news headlines, but if that goes, uh, I don't know, if it, if it escalates further, those are two nuclear powers with one having over a billion people in them and a massive economy. And, like, those are very potentially disastrous things about to happen. But I, I don't, I, I hope it doesn't escalate, but they've just had a lot of animosity towards each other for the better part of the last century. Yeah. I was about to say like a hundred years, you know, <laughs> it's uh that, that, that is a tough one. Cause it's, it's hard for us to like come in and say, okay, you guys stop shooting each other now. Like, obviously we could try, but um, you know, I think it was what 2012 was whenever the last time something like this happened, whenever, uh, I think it was a Pakistan or an Indian aircraft went down in Pakistan and they like took the pilot and they like beat the shit out of him and all that stuff. And India was like, oh, we're going to blow you guys up for this and nothing ever happened. But now we have like military on military engagements happening, which is a way yeah. bigger deal. Because mm. it, isn't it disputed territory, the Kashmir region? Yeah, it's all like, disputed territory. And I think India's had de facto autonomy there for a while but i think there's a strong subset of people there that want to be a part of pakistan so there's been a lot of rebellion and i was i was even reading recently there was a suicide bombing um that killed dozens of people committed by some someone who want, I, I don't know they wanted independence from india and like these aren't even stories that get coverage and we've had the context of the war on terror for the last two decades but no one even pays attention when like terrorist attacks happen in other countries besides like if it's paris oh I'll, sure i'll change my profile picture but <laughs> if, it happens, if it happens in anwar wherever like i'm not going to pay attention to it yeah but the main population is brown people we don't care basically <laughs> pretty much that's the summary it's but true. i mean and it's a lot of like the terrorism in the last couple decades has affected people in muslim majority countries and I don't know. It's not just our fight. Like it's civilization's fight in general, really. But it's just, I don't know. It's a mess. You could yeah. see the border from space of the India-Pakistan border because of the lights. That they, they caught the, at night. There's just a huge and line of lights. North and South Korea too. Yeah, it's you know. I mean that we're we're. I think just a lot of people just don't understand the context, really, how long the hostilities have been going on. There's a huge separatist movement, huge separatist movement that has been just boiling, and you'll get a couple conflicts every now and then, and they protest pretty often, and that gets shut down all the time by India in, in disputed territory, internationally disputed territory, too. It's like no one, there's not even like a good consensus across developed countries who should have it. And, uh, it's like it's like the whole Israel, uh, uh, like Again. yeah. It's like it's like all that. It does go back. It's like you can just keep pointing fingers and keep bringing up grievances, but at the end of the day, like, are you going to sit down at the table and actually work towards peace, or are you just going to not listen to each other and keep making other people's lives miserable? Like get caught up in the crossfire. Yeah, I, I've, I mean, I know this is a super un, uh, unpopular opinion, but you know, in the similar vein, I'm, I'm not as well, well, I know, Indian Pakistan, I'm aware of it. I haven't put as much thought into what I would do because I think 
really that i mean it's it's either it, this is a one or another sort of thing there's no like you know we don't have like a two-state solution with them or some crap like that you know yeah, there's not really a background yeah that's why that is in the first place exactly and it didn't obviously didn't fix it yeah i mean that that was what they were hoping too was that oh well we're going to just split up these two countries but if you're doing it along ethnic and religious lines like that's almost a recipe for just all sorts of resentment and distrust and I don't know, all these animosities have just been built up over years and they've had wars, they've had border skirmishes, but they're also both nuclear powers. They have a special responsibility on the international stage that they can't shy away from. And I don't know, I, I think we don't even talk about it enough in America. Like we're thinking about Afghanistan, like as if they pose an existential threat to us. <laughs> Like, those are events that, if a nuke goes off, it has consequences for every human being on the planet. Like, and no one even knows the basic intricacies of what's happening between these two countries. Or North Korea, for that matter, either. Like, that's another example where, like, things are relatively calm, so to speak, but could get blown up tremendously if we fuck up. Well, kind of going back to North Korea again, I mean, is anyone here really surprised that the talks didn't go through? No. Yeah, I mean... I didn't expect the U.S. diplomats to basically just be like, yeah, we don't like the deal, peace. Like, yeah. I expected them to at least be, I don't know, cordial and like go through the whole process. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure from their perspective, it would have looked great. But I think what was on the table was essentially you dismantle your entire arsenal and we'll lift sanctions. And they're like, well, if we uh, get rid of our arsenal, are you going to treat me like Gaddafi? Like, yeah, true. That's pretty much what we're thinking. And I'm not, like, obviously not defending Kim Jong-un, but if you're looking at it from his perspective, like, he's going to take his own self-interest above all else. Like, of course, the sanctions being lifted would be great for his own people. And they'd actually, if they oh, yeah. sold their form, they could have some progress economically. But He doesn't give a shit about his people. He's a hermit kingdom, and it's ruled by a dynasty, and they're only looking out for their bottom line. So it's like, I don't know. There's... I, I'm just sure what path we have going forward with diplomacy. It needs to be open, but it's tough. I put this idea through the ringer as much as I could, you know, trying to just, you know, theory craft whatever situations I can come up with. And I, it just seems like this is really, it's like either two extremes. N nothing happens until one day something has to happen. And that's like the worst case scenario, which I think is honestly the most likely. Uh, or we have the magical billion dollar, maybe this guy will do it. Maybe the next ruler in 60 years, unless he dies of pancreas cancer or whatever it was too. Um, you know, it's, we either have, it seems like we either have the, the total assimilation of North Korea and South Korea just to become a Korea again, which is like, you want to talk about like one of the biggest turnarounds in human history. That's probably one of them right there. Uh, or or we have a military conflict and then nobody wins. Seoul gets wiped off the face of the earth. Millions of people die in, in minutes. And then, right. then we just sweep up whatever's left and pretend like we can start over after that. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. And at that point, it's like, was this worth 
like it's one thing to have the force that we do but if you just wreck a society like like there is some hope that the regime eventually will i don't know introduce reforms but there's not much like no they're power by a thread like he had his own uncle executed like he's not he's already paranoid and probably for good reason but I, I i wouldn't give up hope on being able to change the society in general like we were able to if you think about what happened in japan after world war ii the warrior culture that they had and the intensity at which they feared and hated americans and whatnot like we were still able to overcome that and when we occupied germany we were able to denazify them when we occupied japan we were able to kind of get rid of that like japanese warrior ethic mentality of like die for the emperor and that was a very real thing there were people still getting caught on islands in the 70s that thought the war was still happening yeah. that's how their their beliefs were um so I don't know, you look at the Germany of today, it's nowhere near what it was in the 30s and 40s. So, like, societies can change, cultures can change, we can hope for the best, but I don't know, right now, like, North Korea is just the perfect example of 1984 in a nutshell. Like, it is absolutely under his control. Which, yeah, without a lot of bloodshed, how is that, I don't know, how is a good solution going to come about i'm not going to say that these talks were the only path to fixing the problem uh because obviously that's not true there are other opportunities but i'm I'm, i would think i would be a liar if i said i didn't i don't actually i genuinely believe that if they had cooperated now this would have probably been the fastest route to getting through that and i I obviously like like we said before unless kim just wants to give up all of his power which he has no reason to he's already at rock bottom he has pretty much nothing to lose at this point besides his life, you know. Uh, then he loses his country before he loses his life, probably. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, I mean, I mean, unless that, you can't, you can't revolt if you're starving. So we can't really rely on the North Korean people to overthrow their government. Um, no. So. <laughs> Yeah, if you keep the population so destitute and starving and without any resources to be able to def- to do anything, like they probably don't even have enough farming equipment to even like do a peasants' revolt. Like that's not it's not possible, you know. Yeah. I mean, but- there there's the possibility that down the road they'll have to do what China did, which is kind of sort of embrace capitalism but not really embrace it and yeah the free market light is what i call it yeah yeah that's a good that's a good way to put it and just sort of have one party rule but at the same time they're forced like they finally have no choice but to implement some reforms but whether or not you get the apparatus of an authoritarian state removed that way is yet to be seen china clearly still has no interest in you know opening up their democracy so we'll see it's yeah it's gross it's very gross i didn't mean to say they have a democracy by the way but opening up to a democracy yeah yeah instead of one party well i'm worried about the fate of hong kong in the future true i mean kind of a little beacon of hope and an island of oppression i suppose (laughs) something like that i think hong kong could start an international crisis 
if whenever because what is it what is the treaties end for hong kong uh it's coming up soon it's in the next couple of years and some someone in china i think it was uh uh what's his name jin jin jinping yeah jinping made a comment about hong kong about how he's like oh yeah it's like it'll be good when we can get hong kong back and that'll be like a part of our national you know and everybody in hong kong was like wait we what? don't want that yeah <laughs> right like, fuck all that we like, we like being in china and having the freedoms that western cities have you know yeah. It's almost, it's, I mean, it, it pretty much is its own fucking country, man. It, it's, it's run so differently. They don't even, they, they separate the, uh, whenever they look on like a, an income level for like cities and it's like its own little category because it, it operates more like, I don't know, like, like Puerto Rico does for us than, uh, uh you know, like a normal city if we were to make the comparison. Yeah. You know? Whereas what geographically it, Hong Kong is not in Taiwan, right? It's part of mainland China. Isn't it close? I think it's southern China. It's an island network. That's how Hong Kong started was because of the whole opium trade and they, the British put up a port city yeah. on an island. So. It was a British protectorate, wasn't it? I yeah. Think. And then they gave it back to China because it was under British control for forever. That's why a lot of people from Hong Kong are Chinese, but they like speak British English. Really? They have British accents and everything. It's kind of whack, huh. but cool at the same time. It is yeah, such a weird... Right after, you know, like for us in America. Yeah, you know what I'm exactly. <laughs> True. It is such a weird thing that it's like the the colonist nations just being like, yeah, you, you can have this back now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We don't really care about it anymore. I mean, I think it was the right thing to do. No, no, I know. I'm not saying don't do it. It's just kind of weird. Well, yeah, we took this probably militarily at one point, but well, it was I mean, most like India. You know. I think most of the conflicts in the second half of the 20th century are the relics of colonialism: True. Vietnam, Cambodia, India, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iran. Like the list goes on, but I like the whole. Most, really, I like the whole True. butterfly effect idea that you know. Obviously, this is hyperbolic; it's supposed to be, but that. 9-11 was basically set up for this these uh, broken Middle Eastern countries to be put into place by World War One. You know, the action of one man shooting an archduke has set a, a geopolitical nightmare upon all of us because of the actions, the, the missteps and actions of leaders throughout decades. And it all started at that heard, one moment. Um, have you heard uh, Blueprint for Armageddon from Dan Carlin? No, I haven't. He's uh he does this podcast called Hardcore History. It's brilliant. You gotta check it out. Um, and he he talks about exactly what you're talking about. With uh, he has a five part series about World War One called Blueprint for Armageddon, and he basically says like if you had to pick like the most consequential person in the last two hundred years, say something like that, who would you pick? Like Hitler, FDR, you name it. He's like, I'd go with Gavrilo Princip. Yeah. <laughs> Like he really did set like the chain of reaction that happened after that is unbelievable. And yeah, like you're talking about the Middle East and whatnot, those countries territorially get carved up and you still have the countries today like Saudi Arabia and whatnot that resulted from the British coming in and just deciding who was gonna rule and who wasn't after the collapse of the Ottomans. So we're still really much dealing with the ramifications of that. So obviously, but 
the Ottoman Empire and its ending death throes was a total nightmare. I mean, just look at the Armenian genocide. That's all you have to look at. It was a total yeah. nightmare of a country. Which is something that's never talked about. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. It's, it's actually... It's, we'll address it. It's illegal to talk about in Turkey. You can't talk about it. You you will be you will go to jail for talking about the Armenian genocide. Too, that that's like part of their legal system, whereas Germany is like come to grips with their history and has laws against denying what's happened in their country and other countries they you occupy. You still can't show Nazi symbolism though in Germany. Like I think that's unless it's educational. Like uh, yeah, what was the what was the big deal was um. I mean, this has a long history, but you know, in like entertainment and stuff like that, like uh, Man in the High oh, Castle, Man in the High cool. Castle couldn't be shown in Germany. Uh, I think they were talking about doing like an exception for it, but they just ended up not because it has so much Nazi uh, imagery and symbolism in there. And they were like, theme. like, if anything, it shows you how awful like a fascist government in America would be. Yeah, like, I think it's a great show. There's like little things like. Call of Duty World War Two. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Like, so you're just denying that that history happened? Like, that's still a symbol that people remember, like, for good reason. It inspired a lot of terror in people's minds. You can't just pretend it didn't happen. We don't need to forget it. That's for damn sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Forgetting history is the easiest cool. way to make the it. same mistake, yeah. So. Yeah, and that was so silly with the Call of Duty situation, where it was like they just replaced the swastikas with the uh, with the the black cross, the iron cross. Yeah, yeah. Which they had that since like I don't know, like the 1800s or something, right? Since the formation of Germany, it was it was an Austrian symbol before that. Yeah, the Wehrmacht. That was the symbol for the Wehrmacht. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I agree with that point though about World War One. Definitely, like all, all national barriers and political consequences, and like all the different issues we've had from the early part of the 20th century through to the 21st can be tied directly to that event. North Korea, man. World War One sparked off. Uh, was essentially the catalyst that Russia needed to embrace the Bolshevik revolutions. And, uh, Japan became an empire. Yeah. Japan became an empire. And then through the influence of communism and China, uh, North Korea was put up as a puppet state. I mean, it, <laughs> it's just, yeah. like, it's a, uh, what's the, it's like the seven degrees of Kevin Bacon or whatever it is. Like <laughs> seven degrees of gorilla six, princip. Six degrees, oh, six degrees of separation, Kevin yeah. Bacon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's. Yeah. It's, so tr- it's true, though. I mean, it's. We're hopelessly interconnected. And, it, you know, if there's always going to be some kind of event uh, that, you know, people look back to. The, you know, you can look at it as sort of like eras throughout human history. Uh, you know, like the end of the Middle Ages is opposed to a bad event was started by a good event, the Renaissance. And you know, everything that came out of that was a was a byproduct of the Renaissance era. Uh, it may have taken a few hundred years to really get rolling, but, you know, pre-internet, we'll cut them a break. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> They couldn't make a Facebook group then. But. Yeah, exactly. They couldn't do podcasts. That, that was their issue. 
Let's storm the Bastille at 10 o'clock. Come on, guys. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going. Right. <laughs> oh, God. Sir Robert puts maybe. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Crusades, yeah. too. Crusades also are super, you know, especially the first three. You know, I know there's like 11, 12. Not sure, to be honest. But, uh, yeah, the the first three were the ones that mattered because that was when like actual territory was exchanged and like you know, uh, if, for some reason people think Hitler hating the Jews was like a new thing. I don't think people realized that like while the Crusades were going to fight some Turks, they were like, oh dude, there's like some Jews here. Let's like kill them and take their stuff, and then we'll go to Turkey. <laughs> well, you wouldn't have had you I wouldn't have I had the Europe that you'd had if you didn't have centuries of it. And not to throw Christianity under the bus, but they played some part in that. And, like, there were pogroms in Russia, too, under the, the monarchy. Like, they were all sorts of messed up things. They were just the scapegoat of history. And, like, it, it is kind of insane that it got to that point where it did in World War Two, where, like, average citizens who just happened to be Jewish were implicated in some mass conspiracy as being part of, like... The rise of Bolshevism or fucking Germany losing in World War One, like I don't know. It's just it's just a tragedy. There's no other way to look at the 20th century other than mostly tragic, but you know some good stuff too. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Ended up coming out of it. Yeah, yeah. I love the science of the 20th century. God, that's yeah. so so amazing. You know, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I'm horrified by it, but you know. yeah, <laughs> like. Pure smallpox also got the ability to wipe a city off the map. Wiping <laughs> yeah. smallpox, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But it just tells you the power of science and the importance of it. Yeah, in events like war, we're creating the necessity for invention. Yeah, and radar drives. Bands, fucking. And then the, I mean, and yeah, and then the place. Nazis deal with the aliens. I mean, yeah. they really <laughs> stepped up. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't they make a movie about that? Like Nazis in Nazi space? Went to the moon or some shit. Uh, they're zombies. Back. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, I've seen it. It's pretty great. There's honestly really a lot of interesting lore with like the Nazi regime. They were really yeah. big into the occult. I think, I think that just made they're them. like the embodiment of evil. And yeah. So it's like the default bad guy in every video game ever. And <laughs> Nazi zombies, World at War classic middle school times oh yeah <laughs> uh, and then uh, Toten, bro. i forget who was talking about like ss soldiers how they were like what was it was it well, i might have been the alex jones joe rogan podcast where they were saying how like similar to i think it's israeli special forces do where they like raise a rabbit or a cat from like a kitten or a baby and then they have to like murder it at the end because Jeez. like they have to show that like they can kill something they love for like the greater I don't know purpose of the regime. Yeah. No, that's some cool shit. That's yeah. some real cool. Oh yeah, yeah. It's almost like Spartan, like you know. Oh yeah. Just the pure war culture. Oh man, I mean, you get all that stuff there though. Was, there was like a story of some Spartan general who was like going off to war, and he was talking to his wife. And she's like, what can I do to, like, 
like make you happy while I'm gone. He's like, make more kids to die for Sparta or something like that. God damn. <laughs> savage. Those But that's kind of just the I don't know. Mentality. Culture. Yeah. yeah it's that's crazy. It's whack. The the whole Nazi thing is, you know, I can't believe I, I was ignorant to the fact of how many of these leaders of I wouldn't say necessarily leaders, but higher officials in Nazi Germany escaped to places like South America. Yeah. I I had no fucking idea, you know? Yeah, where did you first hear that? I first heard it from uh, Tim Kennedy being on Joe, Joe Rogan's, Rogan's podcast. show, how he did that investigation about it, found the, was, the hospital. there was one of them that got, like, hunted down by uh, Mossad, like the Israeli special forces, I think. Might have been in South America. I forget where. A but lot like, of them flew, fled there. They escaped crimes against humanity, like with the Nuremberg trials and whatnot. And just, I don't know how they fucking got out of, like, occupied territory, but. Must have just crazy. been a, a, a backdoor that they had planned probably since the beginning. It's all conspiracies, but there's, like, implications with, like, the Vatican pulling resources to get people out. Because, you know, the Catholic Church and the Nazis were, like. Uh, yeah. I mean, they did. I think they rung the bells in the Vatican on Hitler's birthday. Yeah. <laughs> the inconvenient fact about fascism was that it was allied with the Christian right in Europe. Which Mussolini definitely helped speed that up. But Oh, yeah. He, yeah. Good thing he was a shit leader, though. Yeah, right? Yeah. Fucking Italy. It's a game. he made the trains run on time just just his time you know (laughs) definitely not the scheduled time (laughs) he's like what do you mean it was supposed to be 10 hours late i told them to be 10 hours (laughs) ass and thought he was cool and then realized that he had no actual power running a country is hard yeah and then they just like pretty much immediately capitulated after they lost like 10 ships they're like, oh no! Didn't the German military just take over? Yeah. Like after the Italians started losing and the Allies were making progress in Northern Africa, they're like, okay, like we've been fighting for the last half century. Like we'll step in and actually take over. <laughs> that was when Rommel went into Northern Africa. The Desert Fox, probably my mm. one of my favorite generals in world history. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, that's one theater that's never really, I don't know, that's not covered nearly as much. Northern Africa? Those are some cool, I mean, obviously it's all terrible preface. Yeah, yeah, no, of course, but. Some really cool battles happened in North Northern Africa. Yeah, like the massive tank battles. Because it kind of, I feel like if we hadn't learned the harsh lessons we learned in North Africa, we wouldn't have been ready for D-Day, let alone invading into mainland Germany. I mean, and we were up against like the leading military mind in Germany. Granted, he was pretty hamstrung, but like I mean, I don't know how well versed you guys are in World War II, but like they were given all of these anti-air emplacements, and we didn't have a huge air force in Northern Africa. It was like just enough to get by, basically. So they were pretty much all useless. They were given a shit ton of anti-air because they expected us to have this huge like bombing campaign in the desert for some reason, and uh, so. He was like, well, 
can they shoot straight? And everyone was like, I mean, I guess so. So they just took the guns and aimed them forward. And they nobody had ever thought to use that. And they swapped out the... They got just solid slugs and were using them to shoot tanks. And they Instead were of flak. Yeah, they were fantastic anti, anti-tank weapons. And it like totally huh. threw us for a loop. Nobody saw it coming. They were like, oh my God, they... They shot the guns at us like, wow, <laughs> why didn't we think of that? You know, right. That's the thing about like World War One, I, I think in particular, but also World War Two for sure, is that the the evolution of warfare changed so rapidly. Like in that podcast I mentioned, the uh, Blueprint for Armageddon, like most of us just think of World War One as like a pretty clear cut stalemate. Like you were just you're on your trench, I'm in my trench, and we're shooting machine guns at each other in massive artillery barrages and whatnot. And, and it was, so like, they were trying a lot of different tactics, like the creeping barrage, and they were doing landings like Gallipoli and employing like uh, aerial reconnaissance and even the first versions of tanks and whatnot. And things changed so quickly on the battlefield. And, like, the technological leaps that were made were just so drastic and so essential to actually, like, ultimately winning in World War II. Um, but, I don't know, it's just crazy, like, how often that gets overlooked. Yeah, it's war's a great motivator for change. I hate it, but it, it's true. Yeah. Um, Jesus. I'm glad we, like, code-breaking even in World War Two. True. Like, What's that the movie huge. called with the it's, uh, fuck the Enigma machine? Is it called the Enigma Protocol? No, it's uh. Um, it was um. I know it's Benedict. Well, what it was, but um, I'm blanking on that. Yeah, me too. It's got what's his face in there, Doctor Benedict Strange. Cumberbatch. Yeah, Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, yeah I, I, yeah. And I, then I, like he fucking breaks Nazi code, and then it's like, wait, you're gay though? Like. <laughs> <laughs> Like what? It's like, oh, that's a fucking problem now. <laughs> like, like, yeah, that was that's so fucked up. A guy who almost single-handedly, like, probably saved the Allied efforts was just, you know, cast aside at the end of the war when he changed history forever and for the better. Like he essentially created the precursor to the computer too, and like all the technological wonders that came from that, like, the guy just gets thrown under the bus because of his sexuality. Like, that's awful. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah, the human rights of the 20th century were... I mean, for the past, you know, like, uh, 4,000 years of humans existing, it's not been... Well, actually, since we've existed, it's not been so great. But, you know, recorded history onward, it's been pretty shit, if we're going to be honest with each other. So Yeah, which... reasons for optimism, but also reasons for pessimism, but... If we're just, just looking keep... back, you know. <laughs> yeah. I was having a conversation with someone the other day. Oh, sorry. You can... No, I was just going to say that the 20th century is filled with so many examples of just, like, how awful humans can be to each other, but also the best of our humanity at the same time. So, yeah. Got to keep fighting the good fight, I suppose. Yeah. The So we can kind of segue, since we're talking about homosexuality now, we can lightly talk on the uh, the whole Methodist uh, church and yeah, their yeah. their convention that they have. Uh, I don't think it's going to go quite down like the convention at Nicaea or anything like that. But you know, <laughs> it's a it was a pretty big deal if you're Methodist. Um, and I was having a conversation with someone who was like, "This is terrible. Like, 
you know, how could they do this? Blah, 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 hateful bigots. And I'm like, okay, yes. All right. We can all agree. Like, I think that's a very antiquated way of doing things. But I had two points. I was like, first off, I was like, we, we have, it's in their fucking book. Like, we can't say it's not. It's in their book multiple times. Like, don't be gay. Okay. So you're going to have a hard time convincing people who are pretty by the book that they can't do what their book says. So also I was saying that it's not like they're excommunicating anybody. No one's like, if you're gay, you can't come to church. God's not going to save you. All that stuff. It just had to do with like clergy and things like that, which I can understand. It's their organization. It's their, their creed. It's their religion. Do I think it's wrong? Yes. But I, I don't feel like I, I get to make that choice. True. Yeah. Know? They do have the right at the end of the day to feel the way they feel. Their dicks for doing so. Oh yes, hundred percent. And it, it's a shame though, because it's like, like someone who's been a member of that community, like a Methodist, uh, homosexual, whatever. It's like I don't know. They probably don't feel welcome, especially with you know something as sacred as marriage. Like obviously the views may be in conflict if you're gonna be strictly biblical about it, but nonetheless they probably feel very close to that community. I'm sure like. Within a small town, their congregation, they probably were hoping that they could get married in their church. So it's just, I don't know. Yeah, it is it's a shame. And I know it's not, it's not an argument, and I'm not suggesting that it is. But I, you know, I can't help but some. It's sometimes you just have to sit back and just look at it from a. At least they're not like throwing people off of buildings for being gay. Okay, can we? You know, they may. They're be, not. I, I suppose that's you know the lowest bar. <laughs> Too, but yeah, or even Saudi Arabia, honestly. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, they execute yeah. people in the public square, so I'd like to raise the bar a little bit for them, but I won't hold my breath. Exactly, yeah. Jesus. Especially when we play ball with them so much. I I hate how good of friends we are with Saudi Arabia. Yeah, it's like it's good. disgusting. Then like Trump with the whole reporter thing. It's just like ah, oh, they definitely killed that guy. Two minutes later. They definitely didn't kill that guy. Yeah. He got a like, phone call. He got a phone call from the Saudi prince, and he's like, bro, stop. We had a bro code. Stop talking about me killing people. And then he was oh, like, shit. You right, man. What, what reporter? What? Yeah. <laughs> Let's not quibble over who killed who. Like. <laughs> MBS or Mohammed bin Salman, I think. Yeah. MBS. They call him MBS, I think. Yeah. It's a yeah. crown prince. Yeah. yeah, he was supposed to come in and kind of be more progressive than most other princes. And women can drive now. I guess that's something. Just, I mean, hey, that's, that's probably that's yeah. a massive step for them. Like sixty years is too late, but yeah, <laughs> but, I guess better late than never. I guess. Yeah. Now, if they could I mean, just get rid of their revenge laws, that'd be great. Or honor laws. Oh yeah. Well, they they still kill people for blasphemy, and they still they're no they're not gonna you know be an ally to the LGBT community anytime soon or whatever. No. Like so, I don't know. But they're a conservative society, so that's just the way it is. I, I don't know. It's a shame that you like that people are acting like he's some sort of reforming prince when he's sort of just consolidating power and keeping the status quo and then also just extrajudicial killing killings of people that are journalists in the u.s too it's like like where is the line for the u.s like that's pretty 
awful to even, you uh, know, to, to move on that kind of a thing. Like, I don't understand why Trump couldn't condemn that. That's did, pretty easy to condemn. I think the line was drawn for the U.S. on September 11, 2001. But, yeah. You know, I think well, that, <laughs> it should have yeah. But most of the hijackers were from Saudi Arabia. And and all of them. They, and the, well, some were from Egypt, I think, and maybe. But they were in a, a terrorist cell that was getting funding from Saudi Arabia. Yeah. And they export, like, weapons, I think, to terrorism cells across yeah. the Middle East, where. And they also, they also export the, uh, the ideology of Wahhabism, which urges more jihadi networks. And it's like, like, when Bush said, like, you're either with us or against us. Like, why are you cutting arms deals for a country that's complicit at best? <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know. It's just, it's just sad to see the state of affairs. Kind of got sidetracked a little bit from gay marriage and. Well, uh, I mean, these are. But, but yeah, we're just going down the route. Yeah, religious. It's, it's tangential. I mean, we 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 got to it through a natural progression of topics. So Ooh. it's. Yeah. Um, I, I, to yeah. be honest, I, I don't know if there is much talk to have. I'm not a member of that community. I'm also not gay. So I, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't really affect me. I mean, I have my opinions about it, obviously, which I've stated, but I don't, I don't think it's like some, some four dimensional issue that like is full of all these complexities has to be hashed out. But I, I, I also, I can't, you know, again, I can't help but lean on the side of, uh, I mean, I, so as someone who grew up religious, I completely understand where the Methodist clergy are coming from. Like, if this is what you believe legitimately and like this is you, you actually believe that there's like a God in the heaven and you have these rules that you need to follow to get into this heaven. And we should be promoting that because hell's a fucking scary place and no one wants to go there. So we should do everything we can to make sure people live this way without, you know, forcing them to. Um which, you know, again, I guess that's what it comes down to. It's not like you're not being forced to be straight. You just aren't being offered services by the church if you aren't, which. I kind of, my only problem with that, though, like I grew up religiously, too. I was Christian and Roman Catholic. But like over time, like I read more scripture and whatnot and. Like, I can't help but look at the debate on gay marriage and think, like, why is that where you and on biblical interpretations? Like, are you okay with people working on the Sabbath? Oh, well, it says you're supposed to stone them to get to death if they do that. <laughs> hey, you're not supposed to eat, like, shrimp or something like that. You're not supposed to. Any shellfish. Like, you could go on, but, like, all this stuff is in Leviticus and other you know, other parts of the Bible that prohibit things, and I did the laws of Moses change, or are you just cherry-picking, I guess, is where I kind of get frustrated with that whole argument. So forgive me for not being up, and this is probably not the greatest group to ask this, but forgive me for not being, you know, up up to date on all my scripture, uh, but is, is homosexuality even mentioned in the New Testament? I don't know if it is. I think so. I don't think so. So I always it only only in the sense that I think Jesus affirmed the teachings of the Old Testament, but it wasn't like an explicit confirmation yeah. of 
homosexuality, no, no, no gay marriage. Like, it's not as clear cut as a lot of people try to paint it as. I always come back to the criticism of Leviticus. Some like someone's like, ah, you know, uh, in the Bible, this is that, and I'm like, oh, what is that? Is that a fifty percent cotton, fifty percent polyester shirt? I'm like, wow, that's yeah. God hates you now. It's like you know, <laughs> you shaved your beard today, bro. That's gonna be like ten years that's in purgatory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I this is also again, this is coming from someone who's a little bit uh, critical. So I, you know, I, I think that's probably a little mean spirit of me to probably jab at people like that. But if you're going to be saying things like this, like, and you're going to be trying to tell people how to live their lives, I want, yeah. I want to know where the the line is, where the consistency is. And Steve just confirmed for us, or Steven, sorry, uh, just confirmed. He said, my husband, the theologian says, no, it isn't. I can't vouch. Uh, I never read it. So, <laughs> or read it. Uh, I've read it. I had to for I wrote a paper on it and it was pretty interesting and uh, it's not a bad read. It's just, I mean, I couldn't help, but at this point I was pretty much over religion. And so the more I read, the more it was just like reading a, a myth mythology book from like ancient Greece, you know <laughs> I mean? Yeah. It's just the middle East sort version. Of there too. Like I've sort of drifted away from religion as time has gone on and like, I'll just look at religiously charged debate, and I'm like, why can't you just take a step back and, like, consider that maybe your point of view is being influenced by, like, one strong subset within your own religion? Like, it's not, it doesn't have to be that way, like, on gay marriage or, I don't know, like, something like stem cell research or fucking contraceptives or whatever it may be fucking crab cakes even like come fucking on you ever had a lobster roll come on come on it's great <laughs> yeah hey. it's all uh it's i mean obviously i think I think pretty much everyone's in agreement now, besides like the hyper conservative religious right that is still a minority, Mike Pence. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're all pretty copacetic with gay marriage at this point. At least some, you know, it, it was kind of crazy how fast the popular opinion changed because right before it all went through the Supreme Court, it was still pretty 50 50. And now it's like 85 percent, you know, or some 90 percent, something like that. So it was it was a good change. I think when people saw that. God didn't smote us immediately for uh, <laughs> passing gay marriage. Everyone was like, okay. trying to sell it like that. They're like, well, America's going to collapse now. Just wait. <laughs> Just the fucking like, space nuke. Like that was, right. that was the final for God. Like not all the other fucked up shit we've done. Like, yeah. whoop. <laughs> oh, Lord, guys. Throw that broke the camel's back. Sodom and Gomorrah, so, yeah. man. It's all oh, over man. again. No, that's what Trump is. He's he's Trump's our punishment for the the gay marriage. <laughs> I guess huh? I figured I it out, man. I think more people would be like, "No, he's the savior." God, <laughs> I don't get that either, too, because he he has really strong approval with the evangelical base. It's like, how is this guy in any way like a Christian person? It's because he's white. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. I saw a really compelling post that I never thought about it this way. And it was like, uh, it was this guy, it was on Twitter. He was like, uh, if, 
if if your religion was was calling Obama the Antichrist and then Trump the savior anointed by God, it's like I think we might uh, be seeing a little bit of an issue here. And I was like, oh yeah. fuck, <laughs> I never I never even looked at it that way. <laughs> Yeah. I, I I don't get that too. They just miss the hypocrisy of a guy who like cheats on his wife and does it while his kids on the way. Like, how is that a someone God wanted to be a president? Well, God, you know, you got to grab him by the pussy. That's that's in the Bible somewhere. I'm pretty sure. I think yeah. that was a quote. Matthew five fourteen. I think it was. <laughs> yeah. Just made that up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just. I, I think I think a, Mike Pence is most of the reason why the evangelical base oh, yeah. voted for him because they're like Mike Pence is like the greatest Christian ever, dude. He like yeah. electrocuted gays or wanted to, you know. It's whatever though. Yeah. He's doing it for them. Then even okay? for a president who is more, I don't know, well remembered or not well remembered, but I don't know, seen in a good light. JFK, who was banging different pe- women left and right. Not exactly During the highest presidency. moral yeah. fiber there, but Let's just, yeah, we just admit that the moral standards of our presidents aren't exactly the highest all the time. Yeah. Instead of just, <laughs> there's some saint-like figures. Yeah, and, and even like the founding fathers, like yeah, like, like Thomas Jefferson. Jefferson. Yeah, like they, you, you you can't always just have some. I don't know, perfect human being leading your country, and you almost never will. True. So, I was gonna make a really bad joke. What? I was. It's not gonna be funny now. It's lost the shock value. But I, I don't know why. I'm a sick, demented person. But I was sitting here and I was like, you know, I, I was going through this like quick thing. I was like, you know, imagine being that person who's like of this like horrible moral fiber, and then having your mind blown by some revelation. And I was like, well, someone beat him to it. So I was like. Oh, yeah. damn. <laughs> yeah. You know, one day he just wakes up and he's like, you know what? Maybe I should improve my moral quality to be a better representation of America. But uh, someone beat him to the punch. So, I mean, yeah, I, think- so, uh, so, uh, I was just going to say, this might be a good way to segue into the Cohen stuff. Okay. Um, he's talking about the possibility of like impeachment and whatnot. I don't. I'm not so sure I'd be more comfortable with Mike Pence running our country. Yeah. Like a dude who said yeah. evolution shouldn't or needs to be taught aside creationism in schools and shit, like among other things that he's done, like like why I don't know, why they think that's the lesser of two evils in this administration or whatever. This is a minor thing. I so occasionally, and I've brought this guy up way too many times on this show. I enjoy Ben Shapiro's humor and I like to listen just for the news. I don't, I'm not a big fan of him or his political positions. I think, I think he as an individual is entertaining. I'll say that Uh, a lot of his politics like Israel, I can't stand him. Cops can't stand him. You know, drugs can't, I mean, he's pretty libertarian on that, but just his, his, his opinion, I don't agree with and stuff like that. But he was talking about, um, he just randomly, had had this advertisement for this creationism thing, and he was like, "Oh, we got to talk about this book." And he's like, "It's ninety nine percent approval that aspeciation does not occur." And I was like, "Excuse me?" I was like, "What kind of what?" 
he's like he's like you know there's evolution inside of a species and you know yeah, things yeah. change based on their environment but we don't have any evidence to show that there's a speciation and i'm like are you fucking kidding me <laughs> there's like 70 years of it bro hundreds actually but like of hard science you know yeah says the guy who's not a biologist but you know i yeah. just it's like I'll take the guys who actually have studied it for their entire professional careers instead of from a guy who's got a religious agenda from a book wrote 2000 years ago. Yeah, and the person right. who wrote the book probably paid him to say whatever he said. <laughs> well, it wasn't so. it was an advertisement. Yeah, so, I mean, so he definitely got I'm just like what happened to the facts and logic, dude? Like that's your sales pitch, you know? <laughs> Everybody's got their price. You don't care about your feelings, right? Yeah, Jesus. Except when they interfere with my point of view. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. As I just long as you're not a Libby life. cuck. That's all. That one. Oh, man. The only time I use the word cuck ever is when someone calls me a maggotard. I'm like, okay, you want to go this route, huh? I'm like, I'll show you maggotard. Like, I don't even like the guy. You cook. You know what? I, I haven't even heard that one before. I feel really? like I've seen. I feel like I've seen the extent of the vitriol on Twitter and Reddit and elsewhere. But yeah, that's a new one. I just, man, it, I, I'm no one's ally. I swear to God. <laughs> Republicans hate me because I'm not for their state. They're like, we like small government, except for fucking not. And I'm like, stop being a hypocritical son of a bitch. Mm. One of my favorite memes this year was, it was from The Last Jedi, and it was when she hands him the lightsaber, and it was like Republican voting base, and it was like balancing the budget and dealing with the deficit, and it was like Trump, and then he like throws the lightsaber over his shoulder, <laughs> and I was like, yes! Hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Who yeah. did that too? Yeah. They blow up the I mean, Rand Paul at least called him out on that. I did hear that, but oh yeah, he calls it. That's like his big thing is the Fed, and obviously, so he hits the big three like things that all Republicans agree with or uh, all Libertarians agree with. So he's always about the deficit, always about the Fed, always about taxes. So, did you um, vote for Gary Johnson, twenty sixteen? I did. I did. I th I thought I felt like he was the most he was most aligned with me. I knew he wasn't going to win. After he didn't make it to the debates, I knew he wasn't going to pull higher than 10%, but he was most successful yeah, libertarian. You know, like they might as well add like a diversity of voices. I mean, granted, the Republican field in that primary was fucking huge, but Jesus nonetheless, Jesus. like it'd still be good to have some diversity of voice because I don't know. There was at least like five or six people on the Republican side that like didn't have any difference in views and didn't need to be up there together, but they were True. just like Republican. More than NPCs. half of them were fucking garbage too. Yeah. Oh my god, the video of Ben Carson where he just like won't walk out on stage. Like, <laughs> 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 hey bro, just I stick to brain yeah. surgery, man. Come Do on. Doctor Carson was a character. Yeah. He was, man. I just feel like he would have been a garbage like, president. Policy on like some teeths in the bible or some crap like that i don't know what was it It just sounded uh -huh. like he wanted i think it was like he wanted to base his tax system on like teeths in the bible like tributes that they had back in biblical times mm, what like, the fuck don't think that's gonna translate into a modern modern economy too well dude but yeah. just go Bring back hammurabi's law while you're at it yeah. let's just go all Cut the way back pull that apple <laughs> 
that's my hand now, boy. <laughs> now, then you put the hand down next to the apple, and you put like twenty bucks next. You know, your little twenty dollar sign. One hand. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, oh, who was it? Um, I think it was Chris Christie who destroyed Marco Rubio. That was pretty amazing. Just calling him out for like the same like milk toast talking points about Obama over and over. There it is again. Yeah. Marco Watt. <laughs> <laughs> he was very NPC. Rubio. I think actually Jeb was the most NPC out of all of them. Yeah. He was the most beep boop Republican out there. Please clap. Much, but please. <laughs> <laughs> cringiest moment oh, of yeah. the entire 2016 election cycle. Yeah. And there was a lot of them too. Yeah. Please clap. Jeb is weak. Oh my god. <laughs> I yeah, that was kind of righteous, like seeing the Bush dynasty like go up in flames, like in real time. Yeah. What's up with so all this sad. like p- post love for George I W. Hate, Bush? I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen that? I don't know if it was SNL or something. I think it was like Will Ferrell coming back to do his George Bush impression. It's like, it's like this uh, this Trump fellow, he's, he's really bringing a lot of attention away from me, and that's great. I just want. <laughs> That was a terrible president. <laughs> I know, like, everybody's he's like, he's a cute old man now, you know? He's, like, flipping up his poncho during, like, the inauguration oh, and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, look he at Bush. Obama a piece of candy. Yeah. I guess we can forgive him for the wars he started and the botching of humanitarian crises. Yeah. Well, even before so that, bad. even before that, he was just, like, a good old boy that, like, you'd crack a beer with. Like, yeah, terrible fucking beer. president, but <laughs> fool me words. Tell him how shitty a job he did. And like, uh, why? It was bad, but oh yeah, have you seen Vice? More the the, the movie? Sh- oh no, I haven't seen the movie. I thought uh, you were, like, it was like the news. Vice. No, no. Oh, yeah. oh, the one yeah, with Dick Cheney. Yeah, we yeah. went and saw that when I was on leave. It's a, a must. It's really good. Yeah, I'll have to check it out. <laughs> Corruption in real. And for sure, it yeah. was crazy. The oh, Dick Cheney was like a walking corruption nightmare. If that's what it was about, yeah, it um, was. God, that guy had so many fucking back pockets with the military industrial complex. Like Jesus, Steve Carell was great as Donald Rumsfeld. Yeah, yeah, uh, very true. So was it like a comedy or was it a more like serious? It was, it was both a comedy and a drama. Mm, okay, like as you see, like there were moments that would make you laugh. Then others where you were just like left with chills, thinking like, I can't believe this shit really happened. <laughs> yeah. We're still living consequences of it, but and it was the same director as uh, the Big Short, so oh, like yeah. it was similar style. Planning like massive events unfolding like that, like the financial crash is really hard to understand, but he makes it pretty fairly understandable for the average person, I think. Yeah. The one of the, I mean, what's a good way of putting this? I, I it's always funny how much like I'm sure in like you know ten years people are gonna look back at Obama and be like, oh look, it's cute old Obama walking around, and then like all the people maybe not, I don't know, but there's just something weird that even like the people who were screaming that like the same stuff they say about Trump, they're like George Bush is a Nazi. George Bush is like, you know, Satan and he's going to like kill all the gay people and eat their babies, you know, and all this crap. I mean, 
I've always thought he was a joke. Even when I was a kid, man, listening to him get up there, talk about, man, I love me yeah. some tarcos. I'm like, did he just say, was, was that an R? I'm going to get the tears. Nuclear. Yeah. He's a nuclear there's an, power. There's an old saying in Tennessee. I believe it's in Texas, too. Uh, <laughs> fool me once. <laughs> shame on you. Fool, fool me. me once. You can't get fooled again. <laughs> God, I was just about to use that one. Uh, uh, fool me once. Uh, then like made Jay- for a great song. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, J. Cole's song. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Too crazy, man. Yeah. All the gaffes that we went through. So I'm like, but I don't know. Trump like gives him a run for his money with all the stupid shit he says. Like he'll just like saying that Frederick Douglass is still kicking it with us. Like, what are you talking about? Dude, he literally said something like that. Like talking about the painting in the White House, and he was like, "Yeah, I hear Frederick Douglass is doing well" or some shit like that. Oh God. And like said something about Andrew Jackson, or when he was dead, like forty years before the Civil War started, or something like that. Yeah, Stonewall Dude, Jackson. Like, I know you love to talk, but like, please try to do it when you've been informed about what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I think it just comes from years of being a bullshitter, man. Like being the yeah. top dog, no one challenges you. Yeah, a bullshit deal. When you're Donald I mean, Trump, I, I don't think a lot of people come up to you and correct you. Yeah, no. Well, and if they do, you, you don't like, fucking listen. <laughs> well, that's what I worry about with like his administration. Like, is he only getting sycophants who will just tell him exactly what he wants to hear and won't offer any like justified criticism of stuff he wants to do? Like, I don't know. It just seems like all the people that he puts into power either resign in disgrace over some scandal or get replaced by someone who will just tell him what he wants to hear. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Obama got a lot of criticisms about that, about how he basically was surrounded himself with a bunch of yes men. Like, hey, let's like do universal health care tomorrow. And they were like, cool. Can, can we keep the doctors? And they were like, yeah, you can keep the doctors. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He almost listened to people talking like obamacare too like he listened to people in the healthcare industry like from the insurance companies too which like that's gonna distort your view of like actually how to reform healthcare just like by default doing it that way but i just can't you know if we're gonna talk about healthcare, i gotta i gotta bring this up i, I can't no, stress as well yeah i can't stress enough how uh and if you want if you want to keep going we can but uh we could take a break after this topic if, unless sure or whatever you want to do man we're here for you but you want to uh, do healthcare? take a quick break and get back into it or the the biggest thing for me with healthcare is we we have the modern perspective and we have the modern solutions to the problems that exist that we've seen in places like Europe and Canada and Great Britain and I posted something in this group the other day just to give a little bit of a preface to my opinion and it was it was a PewDiePie video because I sometimes I watch some of his stuff. Interview. Yeah, and and he was he he posted a things it was like a things that are mildly irritating video and it was this guy in Great Britain who was sitting in the doctor's office and he like. Uh, he like had his phone out and he like took a picture and he's like, it's been four hours since my appointment. And then they all, he sat there and he was like, Oh my God, I hate using the British healthcare system. He's like, I, I'm net. He's like, I, I just need to start showing up three hours late because everything's always like three to four hours behind. And I was like, 
fuck, man. I can't, like, if I'm in a doctor's office more than 15 minutes without a doctor, I'm going up to the front desk asking where the fuck my doctor is. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if that's just, I'm sure that's mostly anecdotal. I'm sure the whole system isn't like that. But, you know, I, there are issues with it. But um, what I was going to say before I went off on that tangent is that we have to look at the history of healthcare, in the, especially in the United States of America, and the transition from us being able to have a society where almost nobody except for the super rich had health insurance. And if they did, it was super minimal, like crisis health insurance and uh, medical checkups were affordable. You could go into the doctor's office, would you pay for it with the cash in your pocket. You wanted some cold medicine. They could whip you up, you know, or, or get you a prescription or something and you could pay for it out of pocket and how there's a direct correlation between the increasing in lobbying and regulation in the government and prices on pharmaceuticals. There's an increase in uh, the cost of, of payments for medical treatments. There, there, this is not something that's just made up. This is, this is corroborated that there is a direct link in history between government intervention into the medical system, which some of it I can understand, and the increase in healthcare prices to the point to where now, if you don't have health insurance and something bad happens to you, you're screwed. Like you are screwed, and that's a problem. No, I I agree with you on a lot of the early parts about healthcare and like the problems that we've been facing, and certainly I think the lobbying that goes on is akin to just legalized bribery. Pharmaceutical think, lobbying is just. That's a oh, yeah. fucking nightmare. But from I think from a progressive perspective, you would look at that and say the problem is that the healthcare companies are lobbying government to get outcomes that are favorable to them rather than the government protecting the interests of the public, which you might get in something like a Medicare for all system, for example. Yeah. So like being denied, being denied for pre-existing conditions – Getting charges for life-saving medication racked up hundreds of dollars unnecessarily when Canadians don't have that problem, Europeans in general don't have that problem. Like, those are things that result from private industry and healthcare, not from the government trying to manage it. Not to say that there wouldn't be potentially some issues like you raised with the anecdotal example of like wait times and whatnot. That could be an issue, but I think like the larger problems that the average american deals with with healthcare are because of insurance companies not the government uh yeah go ahead and make your point i know i've been sorry i've been dominating our side of the conversation so no, that's all good uh yeah i would say that like i don't know as far as obviously you were saying that the politicians their their uh their motives and their goals are not where they should be in protecting the people but I feel like as long as those peop those pharmaceutical CEOs are lining their pockets, I don't think that'll ever change. Well, yeah, it can change. Oh, it can, but getting rid of Citizens United and things like that, like super PACs, should not exist. Very yeah. true. PACs shouldn't even exist. But like, you should just be able to donate to a campaign, not have a group exert like undue influence just by virtue of how much money they have on their True. Yeah, very exactly. True. Um, I think that's a pretty universal, you know, 
if, if we're going to have government around, we need to make sure it's we minimize the amount of corruption. And it doesn't have to be an internal force for it to be corruption. I think a lot of people forget about that. Their external yeah. forces are a lot of times massive motivators for corruption. So, uh, as far as companies in the private sector, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I, you know, like PACs, these are all private entities, you know, yeah, they're yeah. not government affiliated. So, uh, I think that's part of the reason I really support Bernie still is like, I haven't heard before him in 2016 virtually anyone, maybe Obama a little bit, talk about like the, the amount of money in politics, especially after Citizens United got passed and you had super PACs. Like, it is obscene that, like, massive corporations can just essentially buy advertising time for a congressional campaign and just, it, it's buying influence. If you can just win over the public's entire perception of a candidate, what they see on television, radio, online, elsewhere, like, I don't know. That seems like a starting point where you'd fix a lot of, or not fix, but get on the track towards fixing a lot of issues in this country if you just didn't have, like, essentially legalized bribery with corporate PAC money. I think it's no surprise that I'm not a huge fan of Bernie Sanders, but uh, <laughs> I, he's not my least favorite. That's Kamala Harris. She's my least favorite. So uh, Elizabeth, I'm be with you on that, actually. Elizabeth Warren yeah. is probably right behind her, and then I'd probably put Bernie after them. Uh, but you like anyone on the Democratic side, or do I like of, anyone? Or like on principle, you're just kind of opposed to that field. It's not a it's not a principle thing. Like if if they all got rid of their, I mean, and granted, a lot of them have rolled this back, but you know, there's still support for stuff like a Green New Deal. And we were kind of talking about meta, like one bullet point of the Green New Deal, like implementing a. a a, a complete single payer healthcare system. We have a two trillion dollar medical industry that would just disappear. peer pretty much wouldn't completely disappear, obviously. But we have a two trillion dollar so, medical sector. Healthcare to some extent. Yeah, there will be supplemental insurances. Yeah. Other countries with socialized medicine, but, but when they, they <laughs> sorry, you don't have as much. Yes. Obviously, yeah, it's going to take away a lot of private health care but at the same time like what from my perspective as a progressive if you add the profit motive as being the driving force behind the market and healthcare, like you're gonna get bad outcomes like that's why people have to choose between selling their house and getting cancer treatment like what kind of a system is that yeah it's a if broken system that we have well, now I would argue. How are you going to get rid of that? I think by just allowing privatization to be the answer. That I don't think it's an answer at all. It's it's that's yeah. It it wouldn't it couldn't be it couldn't you can't just like rip out all the regulations and then just leave what we have right now. No, there has to be reform. I just don't. I I just legitimately don't believe that single payer healthcare is the answer. First off, also is that I man, it, it really drives me up a wall. I know that taxes are not a big thing for. For I mean, they are a big thing. I'm not going to pretend like no one cares at all about taxes being exuberant, but you're not going to pay for something like a single-payer healthcare system with our current income structure unless you just want to continue to p perpetuate the national debt, which is just a, a looming inflation crisis. So, That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, so can we're going to... respond to that real quick? Or? No, yeah, go for it, man. Yeah, so I agree that it, it, you're going to probably have to raise taxes, and it's going to be... It's expensive to do 
single-payer health care, but at the same time, like, we're already paying more on the health care that we do with government expenditures right now, I think twice as much as Canada is paying for per capita. So they have a single-payer system, and they are saving money in the long term, and that's what different groups, like I think it was the Heritage Foundation and other organizations that were co-brother funded, by the way, found that we would save a lot of money over time with a single-payer system because it's just more cost-efficient. I'm not saying it wouldn't probably cost money in the short term. It would it would probably blow up the federal budget inevitably, but I think it's still a better, more stable long-term solution, especially when we... Especially when the Democrats' answer in the last decade has been, we'll do a half measure with Obamacare. The Republicans' measure has been, we're just going to give Obamacare, and that's it. So, I don't know. I think it's a bold plan, and it might not work out perfectly, but I think it's way better than the status quo. So, that's fine. I don't know if you have anything to say to that, but the... This is when we really start getting into some of like – so one of my biggest issues with the think tanks, for lack of a better word, on both sides, because that's pretty much what the Heritage Fund is, is, yeah. is, is a think tank, sure. is that you, know, you, you get – great example, Green New Deal. Okay, You have – Green New Deal comes out. You have all of these think tanks that get their hands on it, and they start crunching numbers, and they start running through all these models and everything, and then you get half of them that says it'll work, and it'll save this much money, and you get the other half that use the exact same set of numbers and come out with a completely different outcome because of the way that they use their models and projections. So we can't – you know, it, that is one potential outcome. If, 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 if everything goes well and, and we manage to implement the system exactly as it's described, and I'm sure in their, in their cost-saving measures, uh, it's – you know, there, there are, there's a certain time frame included in a, in a transitory period and things. I haven't read the report from them, so I wouldn't know what the stipulations are to meet those requirements. Uh, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not seeing uh, plans like that in uh, modern propositions. And hopefully, you know, at some point, they're still trying to sell the deal to people. You know, single-payer healthcare is still super radical. It's a very far-left proposition well, still. It's pretty much mainstream politics in every other industrialized country on earth, but but for the United States, you know, the United States, it would be a push to the left. Yeah, yeah, it is. It but is even like a centrist party in Canada wouldn't dare touch the single payer healthcare system no. because they know it's just a better. It's not like flawless by any stretch of the imagination. I don't imagine there's any healthcare system that ever will be, but like the net effect seems to be more approved by members of their society. So. So would you, let me let me ask you this, okay? Let's let's flip let's flip the coin. Let's say we can go back. Let's say we can we can implement a system which would involve uh, you know things like breaking up monopolies and stuff like that in the current pharmaceutical industries, rolling back some regulations and and increasing transparency in these organizations, which I think is something that we could do right now that needs to happen. Um, sure, but. The you know so we start on this path towards uh, instead of taking the single pair route, there's like this branch, okay, and we try to roll back to the system that we had in the 1960s, even into the late mid mid 70s was really when healthcare costs started getting to the point where everybody needed healthcare insurance, and we rolled it back, yeah, we rolled it back from to, to the time frame in like the 50s and 60s, 40s, you know, where we could you could go to the doctor's office, you could pay for your checkup you could get your x-rays done you know you could you could get your surgery done and pay for that and you wouldn't necessarily have to have these do you have an issue with that 
if that was a potential outcome? To go back to the the healthcare healthcare status quo like of that era? Yeah. Not not necessarily because I think there were still a lot of people that weren't getting good coverage and you still weren't stopping them from discriminating against pre-existing conditions. And you, you raised the point of healthcare costs going up and some of that does have to do with treatments becoming more sophisticated and almost inevitably more expensive. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't think that if you go back to a time when the working poor couldn't get any kind of health care, the disabled couldn't get any kind of health care, that we'd be well, better. I mean, yeah. I, so I was kind of hoping that, you know, you maybe I should have been more explicit of the fact that obviously, you know, we're in a modern context now. We're not going to like have differential race because you're black or something like that or not offer you healthcare services. You know, I kind of feel like that was kind of, you know, insinuated, but, uh, but at the same time, you know, so I like to come back to, we can go way back with healthcare talking about, uh, you know, I can't necessarily say that there would be any kind of like regulation to do this, but, um, there was uh, first, God, what's the name of the hospital? There was a hospital in Chicago. Uh, it's still there now. One of the big ones there, First Methodist or something like that. And what they would do is they would charge people differently based off of how much income they had. And you're like, well, that kind of sounds like a tax. Well, you could you could go somewhere else, right? Um, but what you would do is you would go there and you were like, oh, like you're Richie McGee and we fix your arm. That'll be 200 bucks. It's like, ah, oh, you're, you know... Jim Bob, make a little bit of money. That'll be like 120 bucks, you know, or whatever, 150 bucks. And then you got Larry and Sue that just barely get by, 100 bucks. And then you got the guy who can't just got hit by a car, has no insurance, broke out of his mind. You get this for free or like 20 bucks or whatever, you know, as, as cheap as they could make it. And they would subsidize the cost of people who couldn't afford health care or at least the prices that were available by marginally increasing the rates. Uh, and some other, uh, I think Mary Seacole was the one who, who charged everything was at like 180% or 200%. She wrote about it in one of her papers and, you know, this was a long time ago though, you know, like, uh, but, and what she would do is that she would overcharge on all of these things and people would complain that their healthcare costs so much. And then she would help the poor people. And then she would be able to give them medical services. And back then that was really huge for smaller communities, because if you kept your poor people, from uh, you know getting everybody sick with the measles the measles didn't spread to all the rich people so there was like uh there was you know this community uh effort behind it to keep everyone healthy and everyone productive and not not uh basically i mean because sick people who can't work are essentially if you look at it from a societal level just kind of like baggage uh unless you on the gdp and on social services and whatnot yeah yeah so i mean i don't know i just kind of wanted to throw that out there too so sure so do you think like there should be a system like that or do you think that oh i would love that i would i i personally would love that and um it seems like i don't know i i, I kind of think that's what medicare for all like would sort of try to do is like people who couldn't afford like life-saving surgery or whatever what have you because they're they're making under 60k a year or something like that like that burden is going to go on the taxpayer eventually anyway if the hospital has to pay for it and it's unaccounted for 
I think it would kind of trickle down for lack of a better term. And whereas if you have a, a, a system of healthcare where everyone is accounted for, you're not going to have the issues of people going into bankruptcy and having a choosing between uh, to do that. And you're going to, I think ultimately it just produce better outcomes, but. I don't know. We probably disagree on that, but <laughs> uh, got anything? No, I'm not that well versed in healthcare, so I kind of just let you guys. Oh, you're good. Do your thing. So I think I think the real root of this problem, and I didn't want to get into it right now because this could this could be a big topic, and I know we were gonna do a break for a yeah, second, but let's not, let's not try to like solve it tonight. But you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, really, for me, and I, I'm sure you knew this was coming. It is a tax taxes is is a huge part of it. Oh for yeah, me. I'm. I'm a big believer that taxation is theft. I, it, it is it is an extortion of funds if you don't consent to it, and uh, that's a fundamental piece of my ideology. Uh, so whenever whenever people, you know, I, I I will I will play the thought experiment as much as we can. But if someone comes up to me and says like, "Okay, we want this new thing. This will help everybody," and I, I don't have a problem with a new program coming into existence. Is if if let, let's say we could cut costs in other places, like we didn't need to spend, and we could pay for single payer healthcare and like reduce reduce military so, spending, and that's probably what would happen, to be honest. Yeah, it would, it would, it would foot it wouldn't foot the whole bill, even if we cut three hundred billion dollars off the 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 budget of you know cut it damn near in half, it, it wouldn't even come close. You'd to also the whole bill. you'd also have less out of pocket expenses for healthcare and copays and whatnot. Your copay would be zero, so it's like. It's a trade-off. Yeah. On the when people on the left say like, "Oh, free healthcare," I kind of get annoyed with that because obviously it's not free. Yeah. So it's getting paid for somehow, but you're paying you're for right. it up front. You know, the cost will be shifted via taxes. So you're right about that. So you so you think that's you think that's a bad way to do it through taxes, right? Yeah. I mean, if it was a voluntary fund and we could somehow get, I mean, shit, I wouldn't have it. I mean. If my healthcare costs were going to, if, if I knew that my money was going to a program to where I could get a zero copay, everything would be taken care of for me, and I would save money off of normal insurance, I would voluntarily subject myself to that. I have no issue with that. However, comma, uh, because of the way that a single payer healthcare system works and how you kind of have to, you have to capture the industry in order to make it work. Uh, you can't, you can't just like pop up a single payer healthcare system. You have to rework how healthcare works inside of a nation. So, and then, then you come back to the taxes problem with me, which is the most direct way to fund a, a restructuring like this. And I just, I can't like, I, I don't consent to taxes for a numerous number of reasons. One of them being my own fucking paycheck. So, <laughs> uh, and I, I can't separate my, these are for my medical taxes these are for my going to bomb brown people taxes. You know, I can't, if I could separate that out, I would, I would consider doing that. I wouldn't have any issue with that. But the fact that I can't, I can't consent to where my money's going to, and it is going to things that are unethical and I cannot support. I can't, you know, I can't. I mean, it's a difficult thing because like, you're right. If you like, we have a democratic system, but if I vote for someone who doesn't want to go to war and the guy who wants to go to war wins and we go to war, my taxes are unwillingly being spent on bombing other people or occupying another country or whatever. But I think if you like go to its logical conclusion, you're going to have to admit that taxes are a necessary part of society. For a civilized society. society. Yeah. Ta tax. Yeah. I've, yeah. You get I've heard, I've, I've heard that one a couple times. <laughs> so, but what, 
alternative to like what if everyone stopped paying their taxes would we have a national defense would we have an infrastructure would we have security would we have i don't know all sorts of services that government provides emergency services well so if we're talking about the total elimination of taxes which i don't even think is necessary i think because so man i could get really deep into this but we'll just go through the bullet points we call it Ancapistan, just to give the name for it. This is the no centralized government, uh, no taxes, you know, all that stuff. You just, you have typically it's a city state model is what most people accept would be the norm, but there's nothing stopping a larger conglomeration of people from getting together as long as it's all voluntary. And, uh, you know, like the state of California could stay the state of California and they could run their operation the exact fucking same as long as they all consented to it. That's the only requirement. No, nothing is stopping them from, from being exactly the way they are. So aren't they also bound by the national laws of the land and treaties internationally and different labor laws and things like that, that they can't just, you know, pull themselves away from voluntarily. Uh, are you, so you're talking like internationally speaking that too, but also just the fact that they're one state among 50 others or among 49 others, you know, one state of 50 total. So it's like, there's, I don't know. I think in that particular example, there'd be a lot of conflict that would be not easily resolved. Well, there could be. So if we look at it from an international perspective, there isn't a single piece of, of international law or human rights code or anything that we've already agreed to that wouldn't be intrinsically included inside of the non-aggression principle. So that's one important thing to, to realize is like slave labor would not be acceptable just because the federal government goes away tomorrow because the non-aggression principle being the guiding principle of and Kapistan protects people from things like that. Anything that's going to what's, what's to stop a massive corporation from you know, just exploiting child labor or a lack of minimum wage laws or a 40 hour work week or whatnot, because you needed a progressive movement in the United States in the early 20th century to even get that on the books legally. So like that was the reason we had like progressive laws in the first place was because unfettered free market capitalism allowed the producers of capital to just exploit people at their will. Well, we could we could go into the the misnomer of the 1920s and 30s, but the there it was before that even like yes gilded age general, the gilded but, age. Yeah. You're you're right. Yeah. There. Oh, okay, so let's just continue on. I won't, I won't get too far off onto that. But the what I was going to say was is that what I like to say all the time is that I, I appreciate the state for building the roads. And this is lowercase s state. You know, The highway system, I could not even begin to imagine how difficult it would have been to build a networked highway system that all connects to each other and meets reasonable efficiency requirements and, and, and has built this network through what would end up being a bunch of different regions and townships. That coordination is just as difficult to do even in a modern time between states like Forget when right. you don't have a centralized authority to coordinate these things. So, and you're right. We have uh, created a society to where it, there's there's a certain uh, minimum expectation expected of, of employers, right? And if we never had the liberalization of uh, the workforce in in these waning years of uh, the Amer- American industrial sector, uh, we might you know never have, have reached that point. We might still be living in the corporatist dystopia that we have today uh but i think a lot of people get the misconception that 
uh, and Kapistan, as we'll call it here, is this embracing of corporatism, and that's not the case at all. Uh, sure. And I know that's not what you like, want the outcome to be, but I think from a progressive standpoint, I'd wonder what recourse the average citizen has to, you know, if it's not legally prohibited to, you know, give people a dollar an hour and it's profitable for a corporation to do so or make them work ungodly hours every what is to stop them from doing that? And would, does that violate an app in that case? Is that is it just okay for them to be able to do that? Would you work for a dollar an hour, just out of curiosity? I probably wouldn't, but if the model across the entire industry was that no one's going to bother paying more than a dollar an hour because they don't need to, well, then that's going to be a problem. Not every industry would have that problem, but I could see scenarios where, like, cheap labor is just exploited like all that labor is producing tons of wealth for people but they're going to choose to pay them little because somebody else will come in and do it which we i mean we have that problem with immigration too right now like people will come in and do jobs for cheap because they'll just take what they can get yeah so, i don't know i think it's 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 kind of got to be a balancing act in my view so we we unionization is still an option people in groups have power Especially in communities, uh, I mean, so you're pro union then? That you think that's good? Voluntary membership in a union, yeah. Okay. I, I don't yeah. think any. This is a big thing for me. I don't think anything needs to be forced onto anybody. I think so. If so, sure. if, if you are a non-union member who's having union dues extracted from your pay, you know, you don't get union rights, or well, you still get union rights, and I think that's the issue: is that if you don't that pay was, union dues, you shouldn't get union rights. I think that's that was a recent Supreme Court decision, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It, it was. Yeah. Um, and, and what was the decision that came out of that? It was that if you aren't a un- if you are willingly not a union member, you don't have to pay union dues. Um, and that 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 just makes sense. And so trust me, from the if I was a union run, if I ran a union, I would want everybody to pay into my fucking union. Don't get me wrong, they're they're milking it. But what the next step needs to be is for the unions to say, okay, well, if you're not a union member, you don't get the benefits of the union. And if you don't want to pay union dues, you get to accept those consequences. And as an adult who has a job that has a union, you should, if, if you're mature enough to, to retract your union dues and make that decision for yourself to get that extra 50 bucks a month or whatever it is, you're mature enough to accept the consequences of you not doing that. But unionizing is a great way to protect workers rights i'm 100 percent okay with people unionizing do you think they've had the ability to impact these corporations anymore though in recent years well, i don't a lot of times it's because it's because of the the 1960s and 70s and 80s and shit since like the beginning of time basically every time we get some kind of conservative in office they hamstring a, a union and they make they make it difficult for a union to do what in the free market they would just be able to, to like uh, unionizing was i mean what was it the 30s whenever unionizing was really embraced then we got through world war ii and then we had the 50s whenever unionizing was pretty much damn near made illegal and <laughs> the red scare kind of made people go overboard yeah but it, you look what happened uh, like i think kind of the legacy of that though you get what happened from the 1970s through to nafta and whatnot where huge multinational corporations will just ship jobs overseas we can find a pool of labor over here in ironically communist countries at the time that will just work for cheap labor 
and you know they'll take a couple pennies a day because it's the best that they can get. Well, how does how does a union compete with that? We're There's never, no like, if you don't put a trade framework in to prevent that, then the unions are powerless to stop that. There's no point in collective bargaining if they can just ship jobs overseas. Well, it's important so, to realize that we're. It might be a different issue altogether, but I just wanted to throw that in there because I feel like I don't know. It's it's got to be talked about. Yeah, well, it's important to realize that there's not a single thing we can do besides AI automation of entire factory forces to where no human supervision is needed that industry will ever come back to the United States. It's a fallacy. Yeah. I hate every when every Republican says that we're going to bring manufacturing back, they're full of shit. Nothing they can do can fix that now. Uh, there's way too much competition, and and we have a globalized economy now. We will we will forever be a service based economy because of that, and uh, you know. There, there will be countries that will always be industrial sectors to serve that, that because they are able to profit off of us being service-based economies where we need these imports of raw materials and processed goods and stuff like that. So I think that's a really important distinction to make is that you know, manufacturing is leaving. It's been leaving. It continues to leave. Made in America is like it's a big deal yeah. for a reason now. <laughs> You're right, though. Automation and AI is only going to make it worse. So. I think that's where, like, the topic of, like, progressive politics or even something like uh, Andrew Yang, if you heard of him, the presidential candidate. Universal basic income. Yeah, UBI, he's advocated that, which it, it's interesting. I don't know. I, it's It could work. It sounds like potentially it'll, I don't know, be the – it won't be the panacea probably for all the problems plaguing the poor, but there does need to be some – bold solution i think to deal with the urban decay and automation and all this stuff that's just transforming society rapidly neither party seems to have a robust enough answer if and i know this is not going to be an acceptable answer but i've always said for ubi i tried really hard to make ubi work i was like there's potential in this idea you know at least it's like even if it's just like a transitory program that we put ourselves into sure. but the the only conclusion that i can come up with is that if if we wanted to do a UBI, if we replace the welfare state with a UBI and it is a better return on investment, I don't have any problem with that. If we replace the welfare state with a UBI and it is a worse turn on investment, investment, we might as well not do it. And uh, from the numbers that I've seen, you can't really have a UBI that is that is both a better return on investment and an acceptable replacement for the welfare state that can fill in for the gaps uh, without implementing things like uh like if you have multiple people in a household you have to cut one of their ubi payments because it gets, it gets kind of it becomes a bureaucratic nightmare honestly but uh we could automate the entire process though i'd like to say that we could save a lot of money right there because most of the projections have this like multi-billion dollar management sector put in for the ubi it really doesn't have to be that complicated it's 2019 guys so you know you need a couple of people in an office to make sure everything's running right in a support network, and then you're good. Like, <laughs> yeah. In fact, I mean that does seem to be like the political issue of our time. Like, you think about why Trump won in 2016. Like, people on the left will probably not all of them for sure, but a lot of them will say, "Oh, it's because Trump's a bigot, and they catered. He catered to their like." worst impulses and whatnot but 
most people who voted for Trump aren't racist. Most people voted because they wanted to shake up the political system and because he, he was promised. Up. He did. You know, that's the least you can say. But he promised people in states like, you know, out in the Midwest and in like West Virginia with coal, for example, or any of the Rust Belt states that he's going to keep these jobs or bring them back. And seems like that's just becoming increasingly impossible over time just by, like, I don't know, just forces that are at play internationally, like I alluded to earlier. So I don't, I'm not convinced the Republican Party has a strong enough answer for that, which is why I side with someone like Bernie. He, his proposals may not work, but I think they're ambitious and could do a lot of good if they're done right. So Progressives have better answers than uh republicans i'm not i'm not gonna say that like if we're looking at just like what's a better solution doing nothing is not a good solution <laughs> you know we have problems that need to be addressed and uh we need to holy shit i i wrote a big piece on this back when i was big into my blog that i never touch anymore it was like this big dossier about ai and i i'm i'm a firm believer that ai is going to fucking ruin the transportation industry and that's six million jobs right there they're just like Poof. The biggest industry in a lot of red states, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and like truck jobs. I know like three people who are truck drivers. Their job's not going to exist in you know maybe maybe it's 50 years, maybe 100. It, it's going. So. It's going. It's going to go away. Yeah, and I think it's irresponsible now of people. You know, as much as I hate the way that the college system is right now, and I think it's grossly inflated in price, and it's pretty much not worth any of it, but. You're you're gonna need to be in some service based sector. You can't you cannot if if you're growing up right now in our generation and you're gearing yourself to be in some sort of like labor sector, like working in a factory, or like even on any place that can be replaced by AI or machinery, uh, even a lot of like you know insurance jobs stuff like that are already being phased out by like uh, IBM's Watson project. I don't know if you heard about that uh, insurance assessors. Why, why do you need a human to do that? It's just crunching numbers. A computer is way better at assessing risks on loans. You don't need a banker to do that. Just put in an algorithm. Yeah. There you go. And a, a damn near perfect algorithm. And it's, you know, I, I think you're you're irresponsible if you're not trying to, you, you either need to be geared towards some kind of craft that won't go away anytime soon because it requires that human touch or you need to put yourself in a service that's going to facilitate the coming times and you know what it may be a bad bet you may not get to work the job of your dreams and ai revolution may never come during our lifetime but you gotta hedge against those kind of things because I, I think it's coming i think ai is coming sooner than we think but yeah we'll see I maybe i've watched the elon musk videos but <laughs> i don't know i think it's uh I don't know. Someone like the internet seemed to completely blindside people and look how that prolif proliferated and just smartphone technology, all that jazz. I and, think, the, and I feel like once the AI, I don't know, takeover eventually does come, I feel like it's going to be a weird surge of jobs of creating the AI, and then it's just yeah. going to instantly take that away well, within what a decade. So, like, stable jobs, I imagine though. 
There's, True. So there's a lot of different, um, what's the word I'm looking for here, breakdowns, I guess, of how AI could go. None of us really know. This is like a brand new emerging sector that we have no idea. The most rudimentary artificial intelligence, like the the step above machine learning like we're doing now, is going to be so dramatically impactful. And that'll be like Gen 1 shit. Like that'll just be the beginning. That'll be like your self-driving cars and your automated production facilities and stuff like that. That... That'll be when when that kicks in, and we will be the big facilitators of that globally. Which, if you think we're gonna have a tough time with AI, just wait till AI hits China. Oof. <laughs> um, oof. That's a good point. But they're gonna have their own problems to deal with. Yeah. It, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be rough. But um, there's so like the general. And again, none of us know. This could be completely off base. We could have some Nikola Tesla of AI come up through here that just completely crushes all expectations and releases a super AI that can do it all. But we're pretty sure that we're not going to be able to create AI that are, are, are intuitive enough to be able to be major innovators. They'll be hyper-efficient. They'll be able to make efficiencies and they will be able but like, yeah, they won't be able to create newer, better AI, you know? In the human touch Unless is what everybody calls it. Singularity or whatever, which and, then we're probably going to live in the Terminator or some shit yeah. like that. <laughs> or Utopia. That's also yeah, a possibility yeah. of a singularity too. Um, Flip the coin. Find out, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> uh, we'll want our ARs then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's... Yeah. If we were ever to reach a singularity and it wanted to kill us, it would probably just weaponize all the diseases that we have that'd be the most efficient yeah. way it's a good point oh, CDC files. let me just look at these real quick yeah. right <laughs> that'd be the easiest way for it to do so like anthrax, all right. yeah. <laughs> then again it doesn't need if it's a robot it doesn't care about uh well the destruction would probably of the, the infrastructure would probably be not so great for an ai so i think that'd be the the, the least that they'd probably see that as most calculated and efficient way to do it like poisoning or something yeah like that. It's going to be, I don't know, it could be awful because, like, we get one chance, and if we fuck it up, we're pretty much toast. Could so. be amazing, though. Could be the best thing that's be. ever happened to humanity. You're in a utopian era, and everyone will get along in Kumbaya. <laughs> we'll all die. Could, could yeah. man. Yeah. Hey, flip the coin. <laughs> it's an inevitability. I don't care what happens. Someone's going to make it in their backyard in a thousand years, or some big funded think tank is going to make it in 50. Yeah. You know? There are, there are a lot of interesting questions about that too. Cause it's like, if an authoritarian state like China does that first, like what is that going to mean? <laughs> I really hope we we do it first. I know yeah. we're not perfect, but I really hope like us or one of our like Western European allies gets there first. <laughs> Cause if Saudi Arabia is like, yo, we got this like super advanced AI. I'm going to go, shit all that stuff i said i didn't mean it i was joking though you know uh oh jesus but the whole thing i wanted to get to by bringing all this up is that that it's it's pretty much universally accepted that until we reach a damn near singularity or a a human or an ai that can uh computationally work in a similar way to a human brain as, as a, as a full neurological network, which is super advanced shit right there. 
right. we're still going to need people to make the AI. We're going to need people to support them. We're going to need people. And it may still be cheaper also with, when you think about it, we, we're working with finite resources here. I doubt we can really afford materialistically to build billions of robots to do all manual labor for places that you can't necessarily build a machine to do it too. So it's not like all the jobs will disappear, but if nothing else, a lot of them will. <laughs> I'm surprised cashiers lasted as long as they did. I guess businesses really like that personal touch, man. Cause I swear to God, I use, I use automated checkout like any chance I get. I don't like people. Yeah. Gross <laughs> breathing meat sacks. <laughs> Goddamn emotional cucumbers. Yeah, it's a cucumber. I like that. Do you wanna take a quick break? Yeah, let's do that. I know I've just I've said that like twice now, but let's take a break. Headphones I are coming wanna, off. So Yeah. I might talk about the Green New Deal a tiny bit with you too after. Are we talking about the AOC Green New Deal or like the multiple revised sort of kind of Green New Deal that they've been talking uh, about? A little bit of both because I have sort of mixed opinions on them. So okay. it could be good to talk about. And then I forget what else we're going to talk about. I don't know, something else. We never talked about Cohen. I don't care about Cohen. He's a liar. Yeah. I mean, most of the yeah. stuff he said is probably true this time, but I'll never be able to trust him. So. Yeah. It doesn't make me like Trump any more than, than I already didn't like him. So Exactly, yeah. Pretty inconsequential. Yeah. All right. I'll be back in a couple minutes. All right. So that was part two over and done with, with Derek and Brian. Uh, We still have one more part to go. So please uh, go ahead and check out part three. It should be available by the time you're listening to this. If not, give it a few minutes uh, if you're, if you're a very up to date listener. So I'll go ahead and give you guys the same spiel. I always do. Uh, If you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast provider. We're available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, I believe SoundCloud, YouTube, iHeartRadio, pretty much anywhere you might want to get a podcast. You can find us there. We have a Facebook page that's available under Liberty After Dark along with a community group, which you can access by liking the Facebook page and then finding the community group tab. Lots of good stuff there. I post polls and updates and whatnot. If you want to get a hold of me, you can get me at contact at libertyafterdark.net. The website at www.libertyafterdark.net is up and running. However, it's not exactly up to date at this moment. So give me a few days to work on it. I'm still kind of new at this stuff. So I appreciate y'all's patience. Part three is coming at you guys very soon. So I won't hold your time anymore. Uh, Thank you guys for being here and I, I hope you enjoyed the show.